Okay, I'm going to record on Zoom as well. Recording in progress. <laughs> they started having a little lady announce it so that people don't like get surprised don't when get so offended. Yeah, when, like when you're recording. Yeah, yeah, that's smart. Well, how are you, Ricky? I'm well, man. <laughs> you know, I just realized we've been in, uh, we've kind of been been in touch on and off for like two years, and we actually never spoke. I know, and it's crazy, right? crazy, and I'd love to get into this, but what's crazy is both of us have been robbed in the last two years as well. Yours happened <laughs> before you moved to, before you moved yeah, home, and before you went to... Uh, it was right before COVID hit. It was like in March. You were uh, still at right. Kinoteca? Yep, I was still doing Kinoteca stuff. Uh, we were living in Laguna Niguel, and I was selling an Inspire 2 drone on OfferUp, and... Uh, these people just swiped it from me but because of that they like i literally had to chase after them and they had a getaway car and everything it was like it was insane um like i packed it all up in the box and then they were like yeah let's you know we got the cash and i was like cool Mm -hmm. and then they just held the box and just ran really fast and they were way faster than me that's crazy but then because of that they knew where i lived and they essentially stalked me and two weeks later they saw where you know i lived and waited for me and my wife and kids to leave and they they found out that i was a youtuber and they just broke in and stole everything all my cameras and stuff oh man so it's just that's terrible. <laughs> it's crazy man that's terrible and then you you about a year ago right you had yeah it's robbery as well. now it's about uh yeah about this time almost exactly a year ago i think i had just moved into a new studio and i don't know if they knew i was a you know youtuber or not but uh, I was there for like two months and then I came in one day and boxed. It was like kind of a, like a bomb went off in my studio. Like things were just everywhere. I was like, this is not right. Something, yeah. like, I didn't leave it this messy the day before. You know, then I kind of walked around and I saw, I had just bought two red Komodos. I'm like, oh, and they were just sitting on my, you know, my new tripod and like one, one was sitting at the overhead, overhead spot. I'm like, why are they empty? Oh my it's like it's one of those things that you just, it just doesn't really yeah. like register right and so yeah 100%. i was like oh okay i think i just got robbed so i walked around some more and there was just like stuff missing everywhere like all my gear was missing um i had like you know six six or seven like l series and sony gm lenses that were gone and then the two komodo bodies yeah, those um, brand new cameras. You you were ready to start using them. Yeah, yeah. I had just like I had sh- I think I've just done like a couple sh- like video shoots just to test them out. And then um, like a bunch of my swords were missing, a bunch of my knives were missing. I'm like, oh, this stinks. So anyway, yeah, nice. you know, called the cops and we. Uh, it took me like a month to do inventory and uh, to figure every you know everything else that was missing. But did I was, you happen to have any security or? Yeah, so I was made. I was made mostly whole financially. Um, that's good. Yeah, American Express kind of, you know, was, I. So I knew I had th- basically three months from the time I moved into the studio to get insurance for the building, um, just because I know Amex has a ninety-day, you know, f- uh, kind of a loss left policy on the Amex Platinum card. So uh, basically, use that, and um, and I have rental cool. insurance that reimburses me as well. So I, I mean, all in all, I was made maybe eighty percent whole. There were there were swords that I bought in Japan that couldn't mm. be reimbursed. There was a few other things that I've purchased a long time ago that couldn't be reimbursed. Um, those are just like, it's, yeah, they're, they're items that you can't. Yeah, you can't hide. replace them necessarily. And even if like you try to claim the insurance, they're like, well, it has nothing to do with your business, like even though it did, or, you know. It's, so all in yeah. all, I mean, I, I think ultimately 
it was like a $25,000 heist. And yeah, that's grand uh, theft. Yeah, yeah. Then I, you know, I, I was reimbursed like 19, you know, just under 20,000. Uh, yeah, so I mean, that's it's life. I mean, you know, those I know, things but happen. It's just, um, I, I can empathize with, with you. I don't know what you went through emotionally through that, but, um, you know, at first it was such a shock. I just kind of started trying to figure out how to solve the problem and work with the cops and everything. But um, it was a couple, like probably three months later, I kind of like had a weird breakdown. And like, I remember just kind of like laying on the floor and I just started sobbing. And I realized I had a lot of uh, hurt, you know, it was really a traumatic thing. And I never really kind of let it out. And in that moment, I felt really free. And I talked to a lot of people and a counselor about it. And they're like, yeah, you had, you're, you're traumatized by that. And, you know, it's okay to grief, to, to grieve uh, in those moments. And, uh, you know, I was really supported by family and friends, and I'm sure you were as well. But yeah, uh, it just yeah. feels so violating when somebody comes into your space, rummages through all your stuff. It just feels so icky, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I completely understand what you're what you're saying. I didn't ex- <laughs> I didn't have a uh, like kind of a emotional meltdown <laughs> like that. <laughs> you're like, well, it's you're not a, a meltdown. I didn't, ha- I didn't I didn't have a an, a, a, a emotional uh, incident. Uh, I guess yeah, that's what the word I'd use. I um. Well, everybody deals with it differently. Yeah. And s- that didn't happen. But what happened to me was I, I couldn't work anymore. I basically couldn't go into the studio and not feel like I don't want to be here. Right. I walked into the studio mm-hmm. every day. Well, like, you know, whenever I walk in, I'm like, I don't want to be here anymore. And I would just for the first like month, I literally just kept going and cleaning and trying to, you know, I was taking inventory because right? I've run a business through, you know, it's, it's my business. Right. So I had to go through just piles of paperwork and receipts and trying to figure out what was there what was not um but in terms of like content creation i i couldn't go in there and shoot a video i shot i think like one one or two more videos after that of items that i found Uh, basically Mm -hmm. i did a katana video where like hey they stole the wrong katana there was like i had two boxes i had like i saw that video that video has a lot of views, doesn't it? It's yeah, kind of like yeah, yeah. It's like <laughs> it's like my number one performing video, which is kind of weird. Yeah, it's got, that it happened uh, from one point one million. Yeah, yeah, one point one million views on yeah. that video. It was it was a katana that I, I really I really loved. I, I I saved up, you know, it was a lot of money. Um, it's like a five thousand dollar katana, right? So good lord. So yeah. I I when I bought it, I was actually in Japan when I bought it, and um, it was like it was my. F- first real Japanese katana that I purchased. So I, to me, that was like a very, mm. it was like a prized possession, right? So um, not yeah. really, like, I didn't like, I don't love the katana, but it was like a really cool piece of like gear to own. And um, yeah. so I was, they stole, they stole another one that was a little bit less. I mean, still, it was still a couple thousand bucks, but so, you know, I, I was like, you know, I should celebrate this. So I posted that. And then I found some knives yeah. that, you know, they stole some, they stole some really expensive knives that they were like a couple thousand dollars a piece, but they also like stole knives that were like $25. Like knives are in plastic clamshells that they, <laughs> they must've just recognized the name or something or they thought it was an easy grab. So they grabbed a bunch of those. And then there was right next to it, there's a trash can with a, with a, with a, like a $3,000 knife that was still in it. And, um, Oh wow. So like, yeah. yeah. So it was like, Oh, like, you know, I'm going to make, I'm going to celebrate these little, these little, little kind of comebacks. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. <sighs> I, again, I, I can, you know, it's, I'm glad we're talking about this first because it is something we can both really 
uh, relate with. I also was kind of, in addition to that one moment, uh, I, I was kind of, uh, I felt like I just got in a weird slump creatively and I, I wasn't, it, it really wasn't until Indie Mogul that I started like kind of really working again. I was still doing Kinotika at the time and um, I was making one video a week, but my kind of uh, happy-go-lucky attitude really changed. It really, I got really kind of depressed. Um, anyways, I, yeah, I'm just so thankful that we're able to do this. Um, I don't really know exactly what caused you and I to become friends over the internet, but I don't know if you reached out or if I did I, or what. I think but I reached out to you. If I remember correctly, it was, I was, I was actually, want, if I, I'm, pr I'm pretty sure it was, I saw Kit, Kitty, Kitty's, uh, Kitty? Kitty's video yeah. of her at like VidCon, uh -huh. like YouTubeCon in Anaheim. Yep, uh, VidCon, yeah, we did a little collab yeah, at VidCon. Yeah, she, she did a really quick interview of you about why you moved to LA or you know, uh -huh. to California and you, and you said you, know, you and your wife prayed about it. I was like, I think this guy might be a brother, so let me just reach out to him. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, I sent you, uh, I, I guess I sent you either an uh, email or it must have been an email. I got from your, you know. The, I think it was ab an email. Ab about us, about me on the YouTube. Um, yeah. About tab and so and uh <laughs> i think that was just it um that's awesome yeah, yeah I, th I think as you say all that that does i remember that and i think i was just like uh here's my phone number like yeah. email is is dumb <laughs> like, yeah uh, i was like i i don't want to have a conversation over email let's let's become friends and so we did and then i started following your videos and they're amazing and like it, and but but there's a whole nother layer to you too like i only knew you as the knife youtube guy but then it's like oh wait no he runs an entire business and designs these things like so it's really amazing what you do and being a father yourself and you know uh christian and like all that it's pretty awesome so um just tell me about yourself and you know i i, I kind of want to get to know you like where are you from how did you get started in this whole knife thing? I mean, it's it's so amazing what you do. Well, thank you. That was much more than than I would say about myself. But <laughs> uh, yeah, man, I I got really lucky with what I'm doing. Um, I I'm from Boston. I was raised in Boston. Born in Vietnam. I came here when I was like one. Wow. And so came came to Boston, and then um, my senior year of high school, I dropped out <laughs> of high school. And <laughs> moved to LA because I thought I wanted to be an actor. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, and I didn't want to be an actor. The, the The reality was now that I think back, you know, as an adult looking back in my life, I really needed to just get away from Boston. Mm. Boston for me was very toxic. There was a lot of things that weren't going well for me, and um, you know, a lot of my friends, a lot of my childhood friends, were having a lot of legal issues, gang issues, drug issues. And I just knew that if I stayed any longer, I would have just gotten caught up, uh, get caught yeah. up in that, in that lifestyle. So wow. I, I had no, in my mind, I was like, you know, I just need to go. So I dropped, I literally just dropped out of high school and packed my bags, had two suitcases mm. and 300 bucks to my name, you know. Wow, um, what did your, I mean, did you just not tell your parents or what? I was <laughs> living alone already. So it, I, I, I didn't need any permission oh. at that time. So I was, um, okay. I've been living alone at that time for years. So I was 18 when I, when I left Boston, I, I had been on my own paying rent 
like you what know, do you mean what do you mean you're living on your own you're a kid you're a child I was a kid yeah well, yeah so i mean it, it there's a whole uh, layers of this thing like my <laughs> yeah. my father was uh my father left the home when we were when i was about 12 or so 11 or 12 he left the home and wow. uh, he's had you know he's had multi at that at that time he just the marriage wasn't working and he he decided to bounce and um when I was about 15, kind of around 15, my mother, uh, she said to me one day, she said, hey, listen, I can't, I'm, I need to move to this other part of town called Worcester. It's like an hour out of Boston. She says, I'm buying a, a billiard hall there and I can't afford to, you know, to, to like pay to, to rent. Um, I said, fine, you, you go, it's fine, I'll just stay here. I was already working as a as a lifeguard at the time. So I already had a full-time job after high school. Uh, during wow. high school, after school, I would go and work. And so wow. she so she went and um, yeah, so during high school, my, ent my entire high school career, I would go to school, you know, I, I wake up at 6 a.m., go to school. Then at 1.30, I leave school, get to my first job at 2 p.m. I'd work from like two to six at the daycare, it's a after school program uh, mm -hmm. for like first to like third graders or something. And then from there, up, uh, from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m., I went to work as a lifeguard. And wow. then inside the same, inside the school, there was a pool there, that which is which is a, you know, a great job because I just walk 30 seconds yeah. down and I'm, I'm at my next job. And then from 9 p.m. till midnight, I worked at the gym, which was also connected to the school. So the gym had this, mm. um, had a uh, had a volleyball and basketball league that every single night there was a club working out. So I, I basically had a full-time job from 2 p.m. till midnight that I worked through the, my entire uh, high school. So while all your friends in high school are probably living, you know, your standard childhood of just hanging out and playing video games or whatever, like you were working your butt off and yeah. living on your own. Yeah, that's, Did, that's I, all I'm I I'm sure you had, other, you had other friends that knew this, right? Like people would come No one knew I worked that much. You know, and the reason why I say that is like now that I look back, now that I... Yeah, you're an adult with kids now, so... Yeah, and I, you know, I've, I would visit back in Boston over the last, you know, you know, 20 years now since I've been gone. And people were like, uh, oh, you know, I remember you. You used to be such a party animal. I'm like, when did you when like how <laughs> that there was no such thing i was paying yeah. rent when you were still when you were partying i was working you know i was literally working till midnight every night so and they were just they had no people just had no idea they were i mean which is yeah. to me really it's one of those things now that I, it i wouldn't say it's 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 disappointing but it it shows how little people knew of my situation mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, my closest, some of my closest friends had no idea. Actually, I would say 99% of my friends had no, had no idea. Uh, wow. Only one or two persons, if you ask today, what was Ricky like? They can tell you he worked all the time. He had no time to party. He had no time to be rowdy. You know, rowdy. He literally worked his entire high school life. Wow. Um, but yeah, that's basically, that was my. So you want to get out of there. Yeah. 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 Makes sense. Yeah, and at the same time, so while I was working, a lot of my friends who I grew up with weren't working. They were they became drug dealers. They were getting into drugs. They were doing a lot of just really crazy things. Wow. And so I knew that if I stuck around, I would either get pulled into that somehow. It would happen around me. Um, I might be 
associated with them at some point. They said, you know what? It sounded like Ricky Harris. I don't know what it was, right? I just need to, I just needed to go. Yeah. So, so I, yeah. Good so I, um, crazy. Yeah. Because I was paying rent, I didn't have much money in, in my bank. Right. I was making, you know, 1500 bucks, whatever a month working all those jobs, making 450 bucks, 450, uh, six bucks an hour. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I had enough to pay for rent. I had paid, f- I had enough to pay for a car, insurance, gas, food. Um, so by the time it was time to leave, I had literally just 300 bucks in the bank and it was time wow. to go. Yeah. I bought my ticket. <laughs> <laughs> that was what's le- what was left over. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean the, fli- the f- uh, flight ticket. Yeah. It was a one way ticket. Um, mm-hmm. that's a big step, man. Yeah. You know, uh, did you ever get your GED or your diploma? Or so anything? I got my high school diploma, um, five, I want to say five or six years after I moved out to LA. So after I moved mm-hmm. to LA, I worked in, you know, I worked, uh, even though I didn't want to be an actor, I did end up working in Hollywood for a little while. I managed mm-hmm. to book a half a dozen national, half a dozen national commercials. Uh, I booked two films with Jet Li. Wow. I booked a couple of spots on some TV, you know, TV shows just as a small, you know, really small roles, one or two liners. Uh, yeah. So I had a, a relatively successful, I was, I was living, you know, I didn't have to get a job as a waiter as a waitress in LA. I was actually a working actor, uh, <laughs> believe it or not. And, um, that's cool. And you're, you're young. So yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it was really life like, I mean, it wasn't all ro- roses and peaches, but it for the first year sure. in LA, that was definitely the one of the hardest years of my life. You know, I ended up yeah. having to live out of my car for a little while. And um, wow, how'd uh, you get it? I mean, yeah, how'd you even get a car if you went out there with three hundred bucks? Yeah. I mean. So when I moved <laughs> out there, I uh, I had an uncle who lived in Orange County, so I I, st- I crashed on his floor. Literally, it was on his floor. Wow. Um, my father, you know, we were we were kind of on speaking terms again. I said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm here in LA. Could you, could you help me with a loan on a, on a car? So he, he didn't loan me any money. He put a down payment on a car for me, which got repoed in like six months. It wasn't, Ugh. it was a bad decision on my part, but you know, he, he, he did help me uh, get a down payment on a car. He says, I'll put a down payment for you, but you're gonna make all the payments. So yeah. I was working at a modeling, basically as an, a, at an agency and I was making like, I wasn't making much. I was making just enough to like buy food. And at the time pay for the car and pay for a, a, a room that I was renting from my house. Mm-hmm. And then, um, then I got kicked out of the house because the guy sold the house or kicked out of the room, <laughs> of the room. he sold the house. And this is yeah, like three it, months, three months. You of weren't really, you weren't kicked out for being like a yeah, bad person. No, it no, was no. just like, <laughs> he sold the house. I didn't know. I didn't have a, I didn't have any friends in LA. So he said, Hey, you gotta go like next week. I'm like, Oh, okay. All right. So <laughs> I was like, I don't know a single soul in LA. Uh, so well, I, I, uh, where, like, wh- where were you in LA? Do you know? Yeah. So I was living in, uh, uh Granada Hills. So in the Valley, mm-hmm. but yeah. then I, for some reason I ended up, Oh, I was in Alhambra. So I, I spent about three months living in my car in Alhambra and West Hollywood. Wow. Yeah. So uh, the reason I chose Alhambra was because I had a couple of, I met some people at church that lived in Alhambra area. So I had dinner out there. So I knew, I knew the area a little bit and there was a park right in the middle of Alhambra where I actually ended up living in an apartment. Like later on, after I got out of my slump, I lived in this apartment for about, I want to say mm-hmm. f- five years or so for you know, th- maybe th- four or five years. Wow. Um, 
But yeah, but there was a park there that it was a, a nice public park. And every morning I'd, I'd get up at, you know, 4 a.m., 4.30 a.m. Um, I drive, I would drive into West Hollywood because I was working at the, the I was in the mailroom at this agency, at this mm -hmm. management office. And so from like 6 a.m., you know, we had breakdowns, right? So if, if you're in, in film, TV, you know, there's breakdowns that come out like at 5.45, 6 a.m. Yeah. Then all the agents are calling up their talent. And so I was working in the mailroom, like just really just shuffling photos and calling up actors. Hey, you got an appointment at this time. You got an appointment at that time. <laughs> and I would show up really early into, so I would get into the building like extra early before anybody was there. So I get in around 5 a.m. I'd wash my face, mm -hmm. use the bathroom, do my thing. And then my, the, uh, you know, the office, office staff would come in. They're like, man, you're always here early on time. I'm like, yeah, I'm cool. You know, I just, I like being on time. They had no idea I was living out of my car, right? <laughs> yeah, and um, so I, I did that for three months, and then finally somebody from my church mentioned to another guy, he's like, hey, Ricky doesn't have a home. He's been homeless. Uh, you guys have a couch you can borrow. So um, to this day, you know, I love uh, there's Wesley, Jimmy, uh, Justin, they and David. Like these guys gave up their homes. Like they're, they're, they gave me a couch to live on for six months. That's and, awesome. Um, and so, <laughs> to long well, trying to try make this long story short, in December, right around November, December, I was called in for a for a, a haircut. It was a, the most random phone call. So I, at this point, I hadn't really booked any jobs yet. I've only mm -hmm. booked like one discovered commercial, which paid me whatever a couple of thousand bucks, but that was it. Um, so I'm, I'm broke. I'm like two. There's like negative. My bank is such a bad number. It was negative two thousand dollars in my bank account. Right, I had with <laughs> like Vegas kept hitting me with fees, and it was just nasty. Yeah. But then this this casting director called me, and he goes, "Hey, um, you know, we want you to come in for a screen test and a haircut." I said, "Okay." Like this is really <laughs> random. I don't know what that is. I, I've never and heard a of haircut. That. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It literally was okay. a screen test and a haircut. Okay. And so <laughs> I, I, I borrowed. Uh, you know, I had no car. Right. This time I've got no car. Like things are bad. Like things are like, um, I'm eating 10 cent ramen a day for like the last six months. Like it, it's, I Man. have no idea how I, how I got out of this, this, that mess. But, wow. but, uh, I showed up, <clears throat> I borrowed my roommate's car. So that morning, my, my roommate, Wesley, he goes, Hey man, take my car, show up to this audition, you know, get, get that job. I drive him to work. I take his car, go to the audition and I, I go sit into this room in Marina Del Rey. Like, I, I sit down and there's um, like I'm in a room with like two two dozen Asian guys like you know we're all we're all we all look the same half of us actually half of them look like me <laughs> other half are like really big or really tall whatever just a bunch of Asian guys right that's, I mean that's what casting is yeah. it's like yeah, they're yeah. very direct we need a we need a fat white guy yep. you know like yep, yep. it's it's like you can't be racist about it it's just yeah. that's what that's we need that's just how it is <laughs> and so you know we all sat there and we're like oh what's this for and then a couple of people were like oh I heard Jet Li's here I heard you know so and so is here I say oh okay cool wow. and then then the, the, the AD comes walking in and he says, you, 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 you stay, everyone else go home. So like he sent everyone home except for me and like me and like four guys, five guys. And then is this before you say anything? Or no, just we didn't say anything yet. Yeah. This is before the haircut. This is just like okay. they walked in. They said, Every, everyone else go home. You, you three, you four stay here. And we're, I remember sitting <laughs> the, there like the sad is, life of an actor. Yeah. It's, it's a terrible. lot of rejection. It's terrible. And, 
So I remember just sitting there like, what is going on? Like I, at this point, it's been an hour. We're just talking to each other. We have no idea what's going on. Yeah. And uh, finally, um, they said, Ricky Tran, come on in, go into the trailer, get your haircut. So I sit down, get my haircut. And um, okay, haircut's done. Half an hour later, we'll go back into the room. And then it was like, you, you stay, everyone else go home. So now it's only me and one other guy. Oh, wow. And, so uh, after the haircut, they made a decision already. Yeah. 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 Okay, so, so then these two. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but he, his name is, he, ironically, his name is Jeff. We actually are still friends. He's six oh, foot, cool. he's like six foot two, tall, super tall Asian guy. And, uh, but he had a good haircut, right? They, they cut his <laughs> hair just right. So they, they called me in. And they call Jeff in, and we sit in this trailer, and then along comes Jet Li. Jet Li comes sits down right between the oh two of gosh. us. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Wow. And I'm like, and I, I'm like, I'm like, this is not happening, right? And <laughs> he Jet's quiet, right? He's really quiet, and he just looks at me. He goes, "Hey," I said, "Hi," you know. And then Jet gets his haircut, modeled after mine. And, huh. Um, okay. So basically, they were testing two, like two or three makeup artists, and, and haircut people like who do, who, do, who are they going to keep for this production <laughs> that's what basically what they were doing okay. and so so you so they had different hair people yeah and yeah you, they were using all of you as, as hair models dummies. Just as, yeah exactly yeah that's yeah and so <laughs> so after that we yeah it's so it's so weird right and hollywood so, is so weird that's so weird so I love we it. Go, yeah it's so then after that we we uh we get called onto stage so now we go onto the stage and um, they actually sent Jeff home. They said, hey, you can go home. You're done. Because they they were like, hey, do you, um, they asked me, like, have you have you ever worked as a stand-in before? I said, no. I don't even know what it was. Like, I, I just, I, I said, sure, I can do it. I, so they said, come on stage, come on in. And uh, they, they stood me right next to Jet, right? And like, I walk mm -hmm. in and Jet's entire stunt team is there. Like, there's like f four other guys that look in our size just like Jet, right? And yeah. they're all speaking Chinese. And then they see me walking in. They don't, you know, they kind of just acknowledge me. And, and then uh, I'm standing there under the lights and there's cameras. The director's talking to me. The AD is talking to me. The, um, uh, the gaff, you know, all these guys are like just saying, hey, Ricky, do this, do that. Walk here, walk there, look this way. Just, I'm just taking direction. And then yeah. next thing you know, Jet comes walking in. He comes right, he stands like right in front of me and we're looking at each other. And he said, both of you guys look this way. We took this way, walk this way. You know, so we look at each other one more time and he like throws me a, a punch, right? He punches, <laughs> a, he punches my chest. He's just, he's just being playful. I'm like, oh dude, this guy's like, he was my, oh, okay. my childhood hero. I'm like, wow. I'm like, this is so cool. And I was like, you're, I was like, you're, you're. I'm like, hey, you know, I didn't know what to say to him. I didn't say anything to him. So the day was over. They paid me like 300 bucks for the day for the haircut and for my time. And I was like, oh, this is cool. And then... <laughs> On the way home, the first AD came out. He goes, hey, are you available uh, in January for a shoot? I said, yeah, I think so. <laughs> he says, it's a six month shoot. You know, if you want, if you are available, if you're available, you can be Jet standing for the next six months. And oh this my is gosh. Like, I'm like, oh. So I get to hang out with Jet Li every day. Yeah. <laughs> for six months. Yeah. <laughs> and like, this is all, it's all union rates too, right? So I'm being paid like, union rates um wow which was a to me you know it was it, it came out to like i don't know two two or three thousand bucks a week that i was paid but dude well it, that got you out of the hole yeah it completely changed my life like that haircut that that um <laughs> that haircut. literally that haircut <laughs> that was like the life-changing haircut for me you know what's funny is <clears throat> that uh 
it really was kind of like a random thing because it was all based on the hairstylist that got you that job, right? Like, because everybody else looked the same or whatever, right? Like, is that yeah. is that what how it got selected down to you is the haircut or also your size? Maybe you were more we're, his. We're his the same. Size? We're the same size. We were like physically. We wore the same clothes. They, which was oh, okay. and wardrobe was really easy because they would just like when I when I had a stand in for Jet, they would just give me his clothes. It was really Perfect. simple. Well, and your buddy Jeff is too tall. So. Jeff was yeah, he was over six foot tall. And um, so yeah, so that was the other. So so there was two parts to that: the the haircut selection, and the fact that you were the perfect stand-in for Jet. Yeah. So, yeah, I got you. Got yeah. You. That's crazy. So your name is in the credits. What yeah. what movie was it? It was in the one. Okay. It's a sci-fi movie. It wasn't his greatest movie. Uh, <laughs> but it was but, your favorite. But it was right? my <laughs> yeah. It was my that changed my life. Right. That. Um, and you got and, to see that must have been fun to like stand there and see the crew working and like really see what real filmmaking is like. Yeah, um, that was that was, you know, I, looking back now, um, we weren't allowed to have cameras. This is 20 years ago. We weren't allowed to have cameras on on set back then. No cell phones like the iPhone sure. didn't exist yet. And you yeah. actually have, everyone had to sign a clause. You weren't allowed to actually bring cameras on on set um, or sign an agreement. So looking yeah. back now, I'm like, man, it, it, filming today, if I, if I worked on the same job today, it would look so different. I would make a whole vlog podcast series out of it. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah. as a creator now, it would be so different. But no, back then I was very young, wide-eyed and... Um, and what a blessing. Yeah. It, it, it financially got you stable. Yeah, I became... Yeah, then after that, like a job started pouring in after that. Like when it rains, it pours. It, it's it's kind of true in a sense. Like after that, I booked... Uh, a a couple of national commercials, you know, then I, then Jets folks called me, told, they called me again, like, hey, we have another film coming next year. You want to work with us again next year? So that was Creators of the Grave. So we worked uh, for four months on Amazing. that film. And uh, for the next, f you know, three or four years, I just, I kept booking jobs. I kept booking commercials. Um, and that, that's kind of like my, my California story. Like that's my success story. <laughs> then after that, life really just took a, uh, I almost kind of cruised, you know, through through life after that. Um, well, tell me, uh, what an amazing story! I mean, that's, it is nuts. And you were so young, and what a what a f amazing um, kind of difference from your Boston experience to be able to come to to LA to kind of you know struggle obviously at the beginning, but then have this amazing amazing friends and then these opportunities that then you created, you know, through God, you know, he really gave you this opportunity to become your own man and have your own life in, in LA. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's been, it's been amazing to look back and like, you know, that's why I like now when things happen, neg you know, when negative things happen to me, I'm like, you know what? Yeah. It's all good, man. Like it makes uh, a lot more sense now. Yeah. The robbery conversation. Yeah. yeah you know? It's I'm not, it takes a lot to make me worry. It takes a lot to get me stressed. It takes a lot to get me upset. Mm -hmm. um, That's not an invitation know. for people to come back and rob you again. But no, no. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's all material goods, anyways. Uh, I don't. What uh, What have you learned since getting robbed? Have you set up anything to? Prevent yeah. So yeah. So I got two. I got two separate security systems now. Yeah, uh, two me separate, too. Two separate alert systems. Um, so, you know, it costs me a lot more per month now, but which is which is fine. It's it's minimal. 
Um, yeah. You know, it's it's th- it's one of those things. You can't prevent it necessarily. You can minimize it. You um, can move to a state like Tennessee where everybody's sweet to one another. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that I was know. a big wake-up call for me being a Nashville boy. It was like, oh, I, I kind of trust everybody because where I come from in the South, like you kind of can trust everybody. It's just mm-hmm. a different culture, you know. But anyways, um, tell me – so tell me about the – the the samurai swords the knives the the blades yeah. the all that what, yeah. where does that fall in because i haven't heard that at all in your story yet <laughs> yeah so like my youtube was really it came a lot later on right so like you heard the first yeah. five years of me being in la that's like that so was that was 20 years ago that was 20 years ago that's when it all started so i guess uh, you, you got married at a, some point as well yeah so i basically moved <laughs> to canada uh, right, so right after that time in LA, I said, you know what? I need to do something different. I'm sick of Hollywood. I can't, I can't show up to another audition and pretend I have like this Asian broken down accent. Like I can't sound that <laughs> way, you know. Like it's, it was just too demeaning for me to show up and just. <laughs> yeah. Like this is how I talk, right? I mean, I'm, I, I don't have a perfect, uh, I guess, American accent, but, but I can't. Sounds it's it's hard for me to, <laughs> it's hard for me to sound Chinese. It's hard for me to sound Vietnamese when speaking English, right? Or or actively try to sound like I have this weird accent. Yeah. So um, you know, I, I probably went to a, hundred, a couple hundred auditions in the five years that I lived in LA. And um, I, I remember like 99% of those, uh, of those auditions, they say, hey, can you sound more Asian? Can you sound more fob, uh, fresh off the boat? You know, like it was just like audition yeah. after audition, sound more Asian. And one day, like I, it was my very, I mean, today I can still remember it so clearly. It was my very last audition. And um, the casting director said, hey, can you sound more Asian? I'm like, no, I can't sound more Asian. Like, this is how I sound. And, <laughs> you know, and, um, and yeah. at that point I realized, and you're she done. was Asian too, which is the real, and to me that was like really insulting. I'm like, you're Asian too. How are, you don't sound like the way you're trying to make me sound. You and I speak the same language. We were both yeah. speaking English, clear <laughs> English. And the, the role is that you're playing an English speaking yeah, person too. Yeah. It's not like you're speaking a foreign language. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a, it wasn't a period piece. It wasn't anything like that. It was just like it was just like another eight, like kid. It was a you know high school or a young adult. And so yeah. I'm like, well, so anyways, I walked out of the auditions. You know, I was like, you know, I'm never showing up. That was tw- that was 20 years ago. Hopefully things have changed a little bit, but I, I doubt it. I don't know. I still talk to people today, and they're saying it's not th- it's not that different. Um, I'm sure it, 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 I'm sure it is for some some degree to some degree I'm sure it's different but um, anyways yeah so I just said you know what this is it I'm I'm done I'm never coming yeah. back to, to, I'm never going to go show up and and since then I've never showed up to another audition for anything good for you and yeah. um and uh yeah so then after that so you moved to Canada I mean that's right yeah I moved why, to Canada because Can- <laughs> I a year within that year I became a speed skater so I sp- I picked up ice short <laughs> short track ice Man, speed skating you do everything, man. That's I kind of go all in. I kind of go yeah. all in. And, uh, you know, I, I just watched Apollo Ono win the gold medal at the Olympics. And uh-huh. uh, I was like, all right, you know what? I'm going to go speed skate. And uh, so I picked up speed skating. I got uh, <laughs> quick, awesome. fast. And I wasn't that fast, but I got quick, you know, pretty. I got fast pretty quickly. And so <laughs> I said, you know, what? Um, let's go train at the Olympic Oval in Canada, in Calgary, Alberta. Uh, so I... I I said in my qualifying times, I said, hey, I'm this fast. I can, 
I want to train there for the next four, three years for the Olympics. Hopefully I can make it. So they said, all right, come on up. And so <laughs> I moved to Canada, packed my, again, packed my bags. I had, uh, again. I didn't wow. drive, I flew up there. Um, so I flew to Canada, found an apartment, you know, uh, lived there for a year, training through one whole, one whole season. And things were, things were actually looking pretty good until I got into an accident. I came back to LA one night. Uh, I came, well, I came back to LA, I had to do some visa stuff. I had to go back every three months. And um, on my, one of my trips back, I was in a car accident. Oh and no. um, so it, was, uh, it wasn't life-threatening, but I had, a, I had a pretty bad concussion and uh, I was off the ice for a while. And I, my vision wasn't very great after that. I had, um, you know, I guess some very slight nerve damage or yeah. with my eyes. I couldn't focus very easily, you know. Um, so, so I couldn't train for like nearly, you know, three months, four months. And so after that, Shoot. I kind of lost. Yeah. I lost the passion for the ice. I said, you know what? Let's let's go. Let's go another direction for a little while. So came <laughs> back. Um, I got a job at a bike shop of all places. So I worked at a bike shop for the next year or two, uh, or for for about a year, and then I got recruited to work at an auto dealership, which I, it was an Audi auto dealership, which I worked with for, for like six months. And I was like, okay, I'm done here. So then <laughs> I moved to San Francisco. So I drove my car at this time. Now I'm like, all right, I'm doing well. You know, I drove to San Francisco. I lived in, lived in San Francisco for two years. That's where I met my wife. I th well, my girlfriend at the time, who's my current wife. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I lived there for two years. And then she moved away for three years. We did three years long distance. She did. Oh, she lived in <laughs> Venezuela for two years, and then she came back to L to California. Then she had to go to Northern California to go to school, and I moved back to LA to um, just to work and and go to school at at, at uh, Santa Monica College and at UCLA. So I transferred. Yeah, I got eventually finished college. Yeah. Um, and then now leading. So that's like the next like you know five years of my life, right? Like so. Yeah. And then I we got married. It's like in your twenties, early twenties. Early twenty, mid twenties now, yeah, mid twenties now. Yeah. And we got married. Um, and then three years after we got married, we had our first kid, which was like six years ago. <laughs> and uh, so you, my YouTube channel is like a year younger than my oldest daughter. So my your oldest oh, okay. daughter, she's six. My YouTube channel yeah. is five. This is my fifth year doing it. That's and awesome. The reason it started was because when she was napping, I was like, I need to find something to do. Like, I don't have anything to do. <laughs> so I, uh, so this is where the, the whole knives and swords come in. So I was like, I, so I was like you know, I want some knives for the kitchen. I want to, I want to cook some more. I want to, uh, you know, have some sharp knives to work with. So I went on the internet, did some searches for like, you know, the best knives, saw some knife forums, discussions. But at that time there was no YouTube channel uh, you know, YouTube was just kind of starting to blow up, right? It was becoming like, like there was a there was a lot of uh, a lot of tech reviews at the time, but there was nothing like mm -hmm. knife reviews. There was there was a lot of recipe yeah. channels. There was a lot of exercise channels. There's a few car channels and lots of tech channels that were kind of coming up and coming, but there was no yeah. knife channel. So I said, you know, like everything I'm reading on the internet on these on these knife forums, it. It's doesn't make sense to me. They're all con they're all contradicting each other. They're contradicting what <laughs> I'm finding about the knives. Because I want to I bought I went and bought like I went about and bought like you know two thousand dollars worth of knives and stones 
just to play for myself. I wasn't planning <laughs> oh to do any goodness. sort of YouTube channel. It was just for myself. Um, you know, this is my extreme my extreme personality. When I when I yeah. try something, I go all in, right? So I that's how I am, dude. <laughs> Same yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I, that's kind of how I live. And so I bought all these knives and all these stones. I started sharpening them. I started using them. I'm like, you know what? I'm I'm just gonna post my findings on YouTube about what I'm what I'm learning about these knives and what I'm learning about these stones. Um. So yeah. So how'd you come up with the name? I don't I don't remember how I, it was basically like it was more like I mean, obviously Ricky, but you know. Yeah. So perfection was uh. When you're sharpening, when you're sharpening a knife, you're looking for the burr. When you develop a burr okay. on one side, it that. basically lets you know that you've completed sharpening on that side. And then you flip the knife over and sharpen the other side. So basically trying to perfect the burr, the perfection. Cool. And yeah. Uh, yeah it's so just like Kinotika. It doesn't mean anything at all. It's just a word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So but yours, yours actually means something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So after the first year of YouTube, um, I, I actually <coughs> did... Um, and which is something I don't, I, I, I did, uh, it w the first channel was actually Ricky Tran channel. It was basically just a hobby channel. I was building bikes on the channel. I was building wheels on the channel, bike wheels, road bikes. I was, I was reviewing. You're just doing everything. Yeah, I was just having fun. I was, it was just like nap time. I'm going to just turn the camera on and talk about a new pair of shoes I just purchased. And I was doing, <coughs> like, I was working out during my kids' nap times. So I would also do the Rose Bowl run, you know. So I would take my kid to the Rose Bowl on the stroller yeah. and I would run. And I would test a new pair of sneakers. So I would just post a video about that. And then <laughs> towards the end of that, I posted like a couple of videos about knives. And so that was like in June of, you know, five years ago, or oh, six years ago now, almost six years ago. I didn't post any videos for six months. And I, my family, I took my, my kids, oh, my kid, my Sierra, my six-year-old, and she was only one, almost one and a half. She was like one and three months or something. We, my wife and I went to Australia um, New Zealand and Fiji for five weeks. And, and then I, when we came back in July, I didn't post any videos for it for the rest of the year, but the channel kept on growing. And then, huh. um, for one video from just a few, yeah, a few videos. And then okay. I, so in like basically in January of 20, what, 17, uh -huh. almost. Yeah. 20, I don't know. Somewhere around there. 16. I said, you know what? I'm going to post, um, just knife videos because it's something I'm really interested in. I have a new channel called Perfection. And then at, at the end of the first year, you know, the channel grew like 40,000 subscribers. And uh, that's pretty good, man. Yeah. So that was it. That's kind of how I ended up here. So five years later, I'm still doing what I'm doing. Um, so I think there's, there's a lot of takeaways from that, from that story. It's that if you can't, if you want to do YouTube and you see kind of a hole in the market or like, there's there is I mean you obviously were reading these forums there's clearly people who are interested in knives you're reading all these forums and blogs and stuff <clears throat> but you were like there's no videos <laughs> and so like you yeah. literally saw a need for that and recognized that and I think there was probably a lot of pent up uh, desire for somebody to do that and it's kind of like well I guess I'll be the guy that that does this you know and, yeah uh, and I, I i am not people don't realize this but i'm really i'm very camera shy it takes me forever to turn the camera on and um yeah i like, wouldn't know that when I mean, you're an actor in hollywood i'm not an actor i was never a trained actor i was terrible at acting that's why I never, <laughs> you know uh, that's why i never booked any leading roles um <laughs> sure but <clears throat> but i mean it is interesting that like in a weird roundabout way you 
you're able to go back to being, you know, in front of the camera again, but now in a different way and, and kind of by your own terms, you don't have to use a stupid accent. You can be yeah. yourself, you know? <laughs> yeah. And that's the beauty of YouTube. I think for a lot of people is like, for me, it was always a really a creative outlet first and yeah. foremost. And then it became like a really good hobby. Then it became a sustaining, like a life sustaining channel. Um, our lifestyle sustaining channel, you know, that you can earn it yeah. living off of it. So, yeah, I mean, I'm on your uh, channel right now and you've got a couple of videos that are like, that are huge, big time. Uh, you know, 1.7 million views, biggest knife sharpening lie online. That's your, your number one video. Is it right really? Now. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, I do and a then, poor job looking at analytics. Number two is $150 electric sharpener versus $150 whetstone set. That's 1.5 million. It's like, I don't even know what any of those things are, yeah, but there's yeah. 1.5 million people interested in it. Yeah. That's really fascinating. Um, $20 knife versus $160 knife is cheaper, better. That's a great title. Great thumbnail. 1.2 million views. <clears throat> so you've got one, two, three, four, five videos that are over a million. Um, and then several others past, you know, 300,000, 500,000. So it's pretty amazing. And, um, like you said, you've been able to create a sustaining business. What, at what point for you with your YouTube journey, did you actually kind of be like, okay, I'm going to take this seriously, learn the business side. Was there like a course that you took or a book that you read or somebody that you met that kind of helped guide you through how to run a YouTube business? No, <laughs> so <laughs> I, I have I. Uh, I think because of my time in Hollywood, I'm I hate networking and I hate calling up people to say, "Hey, I'm so and so. Can we, can we do a collab? Can we talk? Can you help?" <laughs> so I have um, to this day, I've never done any sort of YouTube class. I've never done any sort of YouTube marketing. I. I uh, I don't look at YouTube analytics the way I probably should or could. I ran the I ran the cha channel as a hobby. <coughs> it um, mm -hmm. I, I you know to this day I still think I, I still don't know how to work my cameras correctly. Right, my audio I'm, I'm, <laughs> I have all this great audio gear and camera gear. I don't know how to use them to their fullest potential yet. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> It's terrible to say that, but no, I. It's okay. I mean, you're not a. Yeah, it's fine. You don't have to be yeah. um, a camera whiz with, with it. Yeah, I've just, I've just kind of, um, I would learn the skills as I, as I felt like I needed to. So when I needed to learn how to make audio better, I went out to bought some gear and test and just did a lot of testing. I don't. I watch a couple of reviews here and there, but I find them. I don't know. I find that I just enjoy more of the process when I'm just learning myself. It's the hard head, hard headed side <laughs> yeah. of me. Um, I can relate. Yeah, I, I've, I've never taken a YouTube, how to YouTube class. I've never watched a how to YouTube video. <laughs> um, I remember a long time ago, like my first year doing YouTube, there was a, is that VidIQ or something like that? Or, uh huh, um, VidIQ, yeah. There's TubeBuddy, VidIQ. Yeah, yeah, I think I, I, I had one of those, either VidIQ or TubeBuddy on, like that was installed on my YouTube channel. And, yeah. I remember like whenever I clicked on a, whenever I watched a video, like either review or something, 
and they would say, oh, okay, your your channel relative to the video you're watching. Like, so I would like <laughs> compare All channels. Yeah, I'm like, why would I? And then it just, you know, like I'm a numbers guy. I love numbers, right? And, and so I got so caught up with trying to like analyze my channel, compare my channel to another channel. Like, you know what? After like a month of it, I was like, I can't do this anymore. Forget it. I can't, I don't care how my channel is doing relative to anybody else's channel. Like, I don't care. So I deleted, you know, that analytics program from my YouTube channel. <laughs> I've never looked at it since. Uh, I don't. I don't look at how many subscribers I have anymore. Um, I don't really. I, I read comments when I have time to read comments. Uh, <clears throat> but I don't. I don't live for comments. I don't live for thumbs up. I don't live for subscribers. Uh, you know. For at this point, you know. I, I think that's a good. I think that's healthy because at the end of the day, you're trying to. Uh, you know, as long as you're making money and you're you're focusing on the things that can provide for your family and and that's working itself out, and you're able to balance that with your life and and have uh, a healthy, you know, uh, workflow with that, that's great. And maybe maybe it would be beneficial as things continue to grow and if you want to scale your business, hiring somebody to do that for you. That way, um, you're not stressing yourself out or, or it's not influencing you in a negative way and then someone else can kind of do it for you or something i don't know just an idea yeah yeah sure it's i you know i i do or not every year (laughs) every year for the last well for the last three years i would go for periods of like four to six months and i have not post anything and so my channel if you actually look at the the time the timestamps of my videos when they were posted you'll see like from like 2018 onwards I'll go for mm-hmm. like four to six months without posting a single video. And uh, that's just because for me, like when I need time off, I just take the time off. I don't, I don't yeah. follow the weekly posting, you know, guidelines or recommendations um, that a lot of YouTube uh, channel gurus say, you know, they say, yeah, you gotta post twice a week, you gotta post once a week at the exact same time. I've stopped doing that a long time ago. Um, and just because What's I- your- Go ahead. Sorry. What I mean, what's your main focus then? Are you like uh, I post when I can for are you but are in terms of the content because maybe you're not posting every single week, are you kind of always on the lookout for the perfect idea or like the perfect thing to talk about that you know people are interested in or you just do whatever I just post whatever like? I'm using. So basically I would use a knife for a month, a six month and then I post a video on it. Or I'll use a you know, wow, my, yeah. my more recent cutting board video I used it was a two. It was a, a video that was two years in the making. I tested basically a dozen cutting boards. It took me two years to test all of them. Then I just posted. I just posted my findings like wow. a month ago. I, well, see, I can see why people find value in that, and and why they don't need you to post every week because there's so much value in that review. I mean, you just said it took you two years. I mean, I I, I hate to admit it, but with Kinetika, I would open the box of the camera, and then we just start shooting. <laughs> Like with no experience, like I've never used this. These are my first impressions, but here you go. Oh yeah. I mean, I guess in a way that is some value. It's like my first impression is this is bad, you know, <laughs> but uh, that was also because we were, we were on a two, uh, twice a week schedule and it was literally a job. It was like clock in, clock out, upload. Mm-hmm. It's like, ah, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do this week. I ah, just make something up. Let's go. You know? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. Did you, think, did you experience burnout doing that? Well, because I had Connor with Kinetika and then with Indie Mogul, because I had a team, two editors, a producer, it, it was a different, it, it's a different world when you're not 
just by yourself doing it, you know? And I loved having a little bit of that routine. Um, it wasn't, we, I treated it like a nine to five kind of thing where I would, Connor and I would meet up around 10 and then we would uh, be done shooting, you know, around two and then we'd end up wrapping around four or five. I didn't, I was like, I don't need to work more than 10 to 10 to four if I'm being honest. You sure, know? Sure. <laughs> so uh, as long as we were super hyper-focused between 10 and four, I was like, might as well spend more time with the family. So that's the beauty of working for yourself, you know, mm-hmm. so you can kind of make your own schedule. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I would say having, having an assistant, having an editor and a shooter really changed the game for me. And, and I, I didn't find myself burning out, uh, when I was on my own, when Connor left, we weren't able to continue working with them with Kiantika for about four months before I left and went to Indie Mogul. Those four months also are when the robbery happened and everything. So I, like I said earlier, I really struggled to get stuff done because I just didn't have any motivation, but Connor was the type of person that like, he would text me in the morning and be like, Hey, what are we doing today? And like, I had no idea what we were going to do, but just because he was an employee and he was just like ready to get to work, like him asking me, what are you going to do today? I had to think like, oh yeah, what should, what should we do today? I mean, I'm paying him. Like we need to do something. Otherwise it's a waste of money, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, that really gave me a kick in the hiney to like actually get some crap done, you know, but, um, that was again that was a different a completely different genre it was a different uh situation than what you're in as well it, it i feel like kinotika wasn't much of a personality channel it was more of just like i mean i put a lot of my personality in it obviously but um it was really all about anything that's new that comes out in the camera world i'm going to talk about it you know that when so when it comes to to knives, uh, speak to me like a complete noob, because uh, I would imagine that a lot of people here are who are listening uh, to my show. And uh, walk me through the different types of knives, the ones that you find the most fascinating. Because I know you got samurai stuff, you got uh, kitchen knives, you've got I would assume self defense weapons as well. I yeah, mean, so there's, there's tactical knives, ca- there's hunting knives, there's. Uh what they call EDCs, uh, everyday carry knives, but p- basically pocket knives. Then you have people who have, uh, you know, the Swiss knives. So there's lots of genres of knives. I mostly am, right uh, currently, I'm mostly fascinated by Japanese kitchen knives. Mm. And uh, that's, that's because I use them every single day. I love cooking, you know. So for me, the joy of using a knife that, that, uh, that cuts the way it's, a knife is supposed to cut, uh, that stays sharp for a long time. To me, there's a lot of, joy and pride in that in terms of getting into knives i mean if you're if we're talking just strictly kitchen knives kind of my forte is there's german knives then there's japanese knives those are the two main uh categories of uh, two main you know two main where, countries where do cut knives fall in cut are made discussion. in america i believe <laughs> i think they're made of i think they're made in new york somewhere in new york upstate new york they've been around for a long time you know um yeah, they, they have the pyramid scheme of like, you, if you're Multi-level. a Cutco ambassador, yeah. you go around and sell them. But they're good knives. Like, we have a set. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, you know. That's they, the nicest. It's like, oh my gosh, this whole set was $1,200. This is like 
Yeah. You know, for most people, that's like ridiculous to spend that much money on knives. Mm -hmm. But to you, that's like, you know, I have one knife that's worth that much. No, I wouldn't say that. Well, in my case, you know, I, <laughs> you know, in my case, I'm not, you know, I, I wouldn't put myself as the average knife consumer out there. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. So you have, you have German... And you have German Japanese. and Japanese. Those are the, then there's also American knives. There's it's Spanish like that with knives. cameras too, isn't it? You it's the same. Like, uh, those, yeah, exactly. Hasselblad, Canon. But yeah. then you got all the Japanese companies that yeah. are really the the winners. And yeah, arguably like they make the better product, right? The the Sony, the, Canon, yeah, yeah. Um, Panasonic. Uh, so then, then you know, within those two major, but there's also, I'm, I mean, I need to. A lot of knife people are gonna like jump in my case for not saying. A lot of countries make knives. Vietnam's making a lot of knives. Thailand's making knives. Spain's making knives. Um, Eastern Europe, you know, this they're not um, American-made knives. Are actually becoming, you know, well, actually American factory-made knives are not really going anywhere. But you're also seeing a, a huge kind of surge or resurgence of individual knife makers. So mm -hmm. individual bladesmiths—they're becoming big as well. I don't think they'll ever go, you know, quote unquote mainstream, but that's not where they want to be. But so, you know, you have your, you cool. know, for the sake of the conversation, you have Germans and Japanese. Those are like the, the big categories. When you go to your, your big ticket retailers, it's going to be between German and, and Japanese knife. That's just, they make the, you know, commercially speaking, they make the most reliable knives. And then from there, you have your carbon and stainless steel. So carbon knives are the knives that form patinas. They form... They will rust if you leave them wet. If you leave, if you cut an onion and you don't wash the knives within 15, 20 minutes, you'll see some, you know, patinas and rust developing on that knife. Your stainless knives, you can't abuse them. They still will form rust, but it's, they form rust a lot slower than your carbon steel knives. That's probably something a lot of people don't know. They say, oh, the stainless steel. What's with the stain on it? Yeah. I think everything that I have that's stainless steel has stains on yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just just look at your, t you know, if you have a stainless steel table, over time you'll see a, a color, kind of a, a, a light brown tint that will develop on it or a yellow tint, something. Yeah. It, stainless steel doesn't mean it will never stain or will never rust. It just forms a lot slower. Yeah. And then from there, um, you know, then you have your, then you'll have your steel, your your different types of steels within stainless, different types of steels within carbon. And then from there, you have different heat treatments, which is how hard the knives tend to be. Wow. So yeah. the higher the hardness, uh, it's on a Rockwell scale. So basically, it go. I mean, I've only seen knives from like, let's say, fifty up to sixty-seven. Like sixty-seven, that's like a five hundred dollar, thousand dollar knife. Um, <clears throat> when you buy knives on Amazon. They're like, you know, let's say you, you can go on Amazon and buy like a, a 15 or 16 piece knife set for like 30 bucks. Those <laughs> are like Rockwell ratings. They're like 40. Like basically if you cut butter, they'll, they'll, they'll bend themselves <laughs> cutting butter. Oh my um, goodness. So yeah. yeah. So the knives that I tend to use are the knives in the 60 range and up. So those knives are in the hundred dollar range or $80 range upwards of, you know, I have knives that are like two, $3,000. But, mm -hmm. you know, people, you know, people you buy, that kind of no, no, you can, you can, I mean, that's my, what your one, your, your $25 versus. Yeah. That's just, that was only $60. demonstrating sharpness. Uh, but yeah. yeah, if you know how to sharpen a knife, a, you can make any knife as sharp as any other knife, you know, cheap or expensive. 
I mean, my dad, uh, my parents, you know, t as an example, they are incredible, incredible cooks. I'm talking like really amazing cooks. And they, and you know, looking back in my life, they used one knife their entire, their entire time that I was living with them. They made incredible mm -hmm. meals with one knife that was purchased. It was probably like a fifteen dollar knife from, you know, from a, a ch from a Chinese supermarket. Wow. And they made incredible meals with it. You know, me, I've got, I've got a shop of like a, you know, uh, <laughs> a lot of knives, right? I don't. There, yeah. There's, there's no need to quote a like number. A but like I, Gaston from Beauty and the Beast or something. Yeah. Know? Just like a, exactly. Yeah. A wardrobe full of them. And, yeah. yeah. I just have I have a lot of knives. You know, if my if my What's if my cooking skills was as was was if my cooking skills was like had a direct connection or like a relative <laughs> level to my knives, I'd be the best cook in the world, right? <laughs> it's um, kind of like camera uh, gear yeah. YouTubers. It's like you have all these cameras, but like are you actually good at shooting? yeah like <laughs> right right yeah um so but no i mean the so the fascination for you is is obviously with cooking and stuff but you do have a genuine fascination and curiosity with just knives in general and there's nothing wrong with yeah. that either yeah no i have i mean i admit i have an addiction when it comes to sharp knives and katanas i i it's it's a healthy addiction because i can stop myself from buying knives but i love the knives so you know um i i I have a curiosity, uh, a a genuine f like fascination with quality knives, and uh, it's mainly because I love cooking so much. If I didn't like cooking, it probably wouldn't matter to me as much, you know. Um, but I love cooking, you know. Um, every right now, I'm kind of on a, a on a on a kind of little kick where every single week I'm going to try one or two new recipes every single week. Try, mm. you know, different types of foods and. So I, I'm just, I'm always constantly learning. And for me, this knife world has, I mean, I never thought I'd be doing what I'm doing now, right? I've, I've kind of went from the place of just a guy k searching for knives and trying to learn about knives to like the guy who a lot of people write to about, you know, trying to be that people are, are asking me like what my thoughts are on every single knife that they see. So that has <laughs> in a sense forced me to become even more educated than than what I was yeah. a year ago, two years ago. You it's know, your job, um, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, so what is your, uh, of course, you know, you might have multiple answers to this depending on use case or whatever, but what is kind of your, if your parents were able to use one knife, if you were like stranded on an island and you could only take one knife, what, what is the one that you think would be oh. the most versatile that you would enjoy using the most? Oh man, well. Depends on what I'm I mean, cooking, I suppose. But uh, yeah, I mean, stranded on an island is probably not a good example because yeah. you would need something to kill animals with. And yeah, yeah. You need so an maybe axe. It's just you need more an arrow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe it's just more of like in general. You know. It, yeah. It sounds it sounds like it's hard for you to pick one. So let's just say, what are a couple of your favorites? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I'm not gonna. I don't want to. I don't want to. Like pat myself too much in the back. I designed a knife that was really good. I designed a knife that I think is one of the best knives I was going to get used. to that. 
talk yeah. conversation. So um, this is a good way to start it. You literally yeah. have your own knife. <laughs> yeah. So they made it to your specifications. Yeah. So of it took it's, a, it took a few years to actually design. Um, unbelievable. It, it was, and, but and people can find it <clears> by the way on your website. Yeah, it's which online. is uh, store.perfection.com. Perfection. Perfection. Yeah. Store.perfection.com. <clears throat> yeah, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes <clears throat> in the description of the video as well. And it's uh, it's right on the homepage. Yeah, so I, I spent many, you know, through years and years of, well, really at that time, up until that point was like three and a half, nearly four years. Um, basically three three whole years of just testing lots of knives, right? My channel at this point was, um, you know, I've had, I don't know how many subscribers I got at this point, but um, it was after about three years and um, I had a chance to go to Japan and I met some knife makers there and I, I started talking to them about, hey, you know what? I have an idea about a knife. It's, um, it's not something they make very often, but they, I said, here are the specs. Can you try to make one for me? See what you guys think of it. They made it. I made some adjustments to it. And so I made, so that was the, the very first one I made. It came out really, really nice. And then the second one that I made was a slightly, it's a slightly more user-friendly version of the first one. It's mm -hmm. slightly easier to sharpen. It's easier for people to use who are getting into Japanese knives. Uh, it's a u slightly more user-friendly knife, even though it has a very similar profile. Um, so I'm really proud of that knife. It's it's not it's not a knife that I talk about on my channel because I don't um, I don't want to come across as the guy who's kind of pitching his own gear, kind of drinking his own Kool-Aid. Um, so it, it's a GV, the VG10 knife. That uh, the second knife. Yeah, this one here? that's the second. Yeah, th that's that's knife number. Knife number two that was designed. A, I no. accidentally clicked that oh, okay. one. This one here? Yeah. VG10? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that one's called your your perfection knife. Yeah. Uh, so VG10. That was my second layers. knife. Yeah. So, you know, this this w this took a lot of time um, to, to quote unquote perfect, but I'm really proud <laughs> of this knife. You know, if this is... Perfect. If it's come on, you mean to perfect? perfect. Yeah, <laughs> I get that a lot. I get that a lot. You didn't want to say it, but uh. <laughs> um, but there are a lot of great knives out there. I'm really proud of that knife. It took me a long time to make, and that's that, and that's a sweet spot in terms of price as well. Yeah, like kind of two hundred dollar price point. It's not cheap mm -hmm. by any means, but it's also not yeah you know, thousand yeah. bucks. I mean, this this is kind of your. Right yeah. In the middle if you look point. at yeah, if you look at the most of the knives on my channel, will I'm mean, not channel my channel. Well, my my store, you'll see knives upwards of three thousand, three and a half thousand dollars. I mean, I don't even know where to begin. Uh, you can go to brand. Yeah, yeah. Just go to Giotto. Okay, go to knife types, and then the first knife, like it's Giotto. Yeah, let's click on that. And is you this can. Vi is this video brought to you by Squarespace? No, are you sponsored by Squarespace? No, <laughs> uh, I have zero. I have zero sponsors on my channel. Really? Yeah, yeah, zero. So you filter That's it. Interesting. Filter it by um, price. Go, you know, descending or something. Then you can see. I think because I'm doing all this on Zoom, it's like it's a little really bit slower. Slow. Yeah. Yeah. Price high or low? Yeah, I've actually never taken a paid uh, sponsor deal on my channel. That's amazing. Yeah. So tell me about, I mean, here we are on store.perfection.com. Tell me about that aspect of it. Cause I mean, we're literally using your site right now to filter through some of these knives. Mm -hmm. 
what is going on? I'm having an issue because my yeah. internet is crapping <laughs> on me. I think it's actually not my internet. It's, it's probably, probably just Zoom. It's Zoom yeah. and this computer, this is a 2016 base model 13 inch. Oh, okay. So, okay. Oh, so the RAM is maxing out, huh? I have eight gigabytes of RAM, yeah. so it's probably dying right now. You probably need to exit out all of your programs that you're using. <laughs> and I'm like recording things simultaneously. Yeah, yeah. No, don't worry about it. I. But uh, okay, so yeah, Gaiuto. Yeah, Gaiuto is expensive. Um, yeah, but if you want to see the most expensive knives, you need to go under the sashimi knives, the Yanagiba types. Okay. So click on the left-hand side. Go to. Um, uh, oh, go go down. There's a there's a, a should be a site called Honyaki. If you if you scroll down 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 a little bit. Kitchen shear Japanese. Uh, why is what like brands or? Oh, let me see here. Uh, but I mean, wh what are we talking about? Like a uh, thousand bucks? No, thirty-five hundred is I think the most expensive knives. Yeah, so it's right under what's new. If you look at on the left-hand side, there's a, a tab called what's new. Right below below that is called Honyaki knives. Okay. So if you click on that, you'll see. Oh d uh, yeah, I scrolled down. The, the first two down. knives were. Um, They're gorgeous, though. I mean. Yeah. So those knives were actually um, a part of an archive from the company that we got them from, and. Um, They've saved them for a long time, and and so it wasn't going to be for sale. Um, yeah, Thirty-five hundred dollars. Yeah, but uh, you know we sold out. Yeah, yeah. There was only one of each. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you only yeah. have to sell one. But yeah. So you know we we get we get offers this of these private um, collection knives once in a while. Beautiful. Um, Look at the handle on it. Yeah, it's cool. But yeah, the store. Um, the store actually was kind of a, it became kind of an, I wouldn't say a necessity, but what was happening was my channel, you know, my, my YouTube channel was reviewing, you know, what I was reviewing things from, uh, from as many people as I could, right? Good quality stuff. Um, and a lot of, a lot of the retailers, although the knife makers was, they reached out, they said, Hey, listen, you know, we really like the stuff that you've been doing for, on your channel for the last few years. Uh, we think that you're doing really great stuff representing our brand. And yeah. I, you know, I'm, I was, um, I kind of became, for a lot of these companies that I now sell, I was the only person reviewing their product. I was the only person putting videos out, talking about their products in a, <coughs> you know, in a relatively objective, but subjective way. I mean, we gotta be honest here. There's no such thing as a objective review because every view Somebody is, gives a, it to yeah, you. exactly. Um, but, uh, you know, I was, I was presenting knife sharpening in a way that was understandable, that was, uh, relatable to most people. And so a lot of them said, Hey, you know, if you ever decide to open a store, please reach out and we'll allow you to sell our stuff. And so I said one day, you know, let's just, you know, so after I designed my knife, I had to open a store because I couldn't just as, you know, I couldn't just sell it on, on eBay yeah. or Amazon. I said, you know, let's just open my own store. Just, Is that because just of the law <laughs> or oh just, just because, because um i just like is there are there knife laws or anything like that i don't or? think so well uh hmm it's a good question i don't think so but i just wanted my own store i didn't want to be on an ebay store i didn't want to ha have an gotcha. amazon store i just had no interest in that yeah i was uh, just i was relating that to guns like if, yeah if you were into firearms uh there's laws with i see with online yeah sale. yeah yeah like you can't just sell a gun on ebay mm -hmm. you know but uh, I guess it's different. It's different with knives. Yeah, I think I'm thinking a little different. Um, 
but cool. um, but yeah. So basically, I said, you know, I have a knife that I've just designed. I'm gonna get like a hundred knives in the, uh, of the first model that I that that I designed. And so I said, let's just open up a store. So I opened up a storefront, e storefront, and uh, we sold out of the knives within the first like two days. Amazing. And the power of social media, dude, it is unbelievable. Being an, a quote influencer. Yeah, influence that you can have. I've yet I've yet called myself that. I've never referred to myself as an influencer. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I I don't like the term. Yeah, it, it sounds cringy, but um, it's true. You literally have in you influence people to buy your product. Yeah, but it's not because it's a bad product. It's because they trust your judgment. They trust your review on it. Yeah, and yeah, it's a and it genuinely was a good product. Yeah, it was but. like you know the my first knife was released about three years after I. After, after I did my first video on perfection, and so, um, yeah, so it sold out, which was yeah, you know amazing. Out. And then so the next batch would take another six months to make. So it was like, you know, wow. uh, because these are handmade in Japan, right? They took forever to make. Oh and so goodness. while that was being made, I was designing the second knife, which is what we just talked about. And uh, yeah, so what? So when the store launched, you know, I get a I get a uh, a lot of solicitations from people who who reached out to me before and said, hey, you know, we, you know, we saw you have a new store, would you want to carry our, so our product? And then I, I did a couple, I did another trip to Japan and basically for two weeks, I went to visit like a, t like, uh, like a dozen knife makers and, uh, you know, whetstone sharpening manufacturers. And they said, hey, you know, could we, could we, could we list on your store? <laughs> Can you carry our product? And so, yeah, so, so the store- it started with you being a YouTuber, just simply selling your knife, and then it became this. It's it's literally like a storefront it's now a, for all the all for, the Japanese knives. Yeah, I, I think you know we have like four, nearly four dozen brands now on our store, <laughs> and um, wow, it's been a really incredible journey to kind of go from selling one knife, you know, my knife, to working with the knives that knife makers that I've been <laughs> that I've been. Um, reviewing for like the last four you know four or five years and so it's I'm been sure knife connoisseurs like they're now looking to your website as kind of a trusted u.s source to buy these products yeah you know if you look at the the description every if you go to if you click on every any knife or any item in my store we have the i believe we have the most honest and open description about what that product is uh, if you go to a lot of different knife shops um, and you click on a knife, you, they might just say made by so-and-so, here here it is. Um, we talk about every single aspect of the knife, uh, things like the handles, what the handle's made of, why you want this handle, how to care for the knife. We talk about the steels, the composition of the, of the, of the blade, um, the history of the knife maker. So we, we go really deep into the description of every single knife. And the photos are crisp and clean and, and yeah gorgeous. you know we're trying to we're trying to be as we're trying to do the absolute best job and give people the absolute like best experience of shopping for a knife we have a no questions return policy if you don't like your knife you know um call us or email us we'll we'll get your return label you can live in egypt we'll pay for the return to get to come back to us um so we we make it as easy as possible for you to not only to buy your knife, but also to research the knife. We give you every single information that we have accessible. And we, you know, a lot of makers, a lot of people reach out to us and they say, hey, 
I have a knife by so-and-so, but I can't tell you who made it. I can't tell you where it's made. We turn down those, those sources because we believe that we need to at least present to people a very honest, uh, uh, the most honest representation of that product that we sell. You keep saying we, we, we. Do you, do oh, you I have a partner. Yes, yeah. So I have a partner for the e-store. So my, cool. um, yeah. So <laughs> when I when I first launched my knife, the first it was just me. It was me in the e-store. But then I just got bogged down. Like it went from yeah. me being able to produce, you know, one or two videos a month to making no videos and having to pack knives and having to work out things like logistics, order boxes, order packing materials. And the it was shipping thing is full time. Yeah, by it was a lot, right? So. So then um, one of my subscribers who he works, he works a lot on in e-commerce. He reached out, he says, hey, you know, I see you have a story. Would you like me to help out? Um, we, can, <laughs> awesome. we, we can discuss a partnership. Um, I'll, we'll take, I'll, I'll handle the e-store. You handle production of your, just your, the creation aspect of your channel. And I think that's, <laughs> a, that's, a, that's a great, that's a great That's offer. a great deal. You uh, have the ba- you have the bad end of the deal, sir. Yeah. But I will take it. <laughs> yeah. So it so it's it's worked out. You know, it's been Very a cool. it's been a huge weight lifted off my shoulders. It's really allowed me to not only focus on my channel, but uh, I can focus a lot on my family. You know. So do you um, see how God has been working in your life? When I hear your story about you know moving out of Boston, <clears throat> the the opportunities in in LA. Um, you know, relying on others, being homeless, and then and then your friends helping you, and then that leading to work, and then you're just doing your thing, and then somebody just comes up to you and offers. I mean, it's just amazing when you look back. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, t- I think to people who aren't believers or aren't Christians, they they will say it, it was your hard work, it was your good luck that got you t- you to to where you are. I believe there is a lot of hard work. I had I I 100%. for sure I put a l- I put in a lot of work like in my life, not just everything I do, I put you know, I'm all in. Um but there's a lot of things that I can I can't account for from my hard work. Uh, you know, it's not simply luck. It was like like there's a path kind of paved for me. Exactly. So yeah, I I um, you know from a Christian standpoint, you know, God's watched my He's had my back since since day one, since my parents' divorce, even before that. Mm-hmm. Um, but as as an adult now, yeah, I'm I I still work really hard. Um, I still put everything I have into what I'm doing, uh, trusting that no matter how bad things are, or how good things are, God's always going to be there. Uh, and so you know. Heck yeah. It's it's helped me a lot with my <laughs> life. You know, it's helped me take off that I, I don't I don't pressure I don't put the pressure on myself to perform to provide. Though I do provide, it's just uh, I know that ultimately, you know, it's not it's not up to me whether I succeed or fail. Um it's where I'm led. I mean, tell me about your faith story. How did that how did that happen for you? Like, how did you get saved? Uh, so, you know, when I was in high school, uh, there was, I had, uh, I was working at a, at, at the daycare. So I was at the, in, in downtown Chinatown area. And one of my, I had a counselor who kind of oversaw, oversaw me. And she said, Hey, you know, my, my church, we, we do a Friday night game sports night every friday you know on fridays so come you're you love athletics uh come come work sometime or come come work out with us come play with us and so on friday nights after my my 
my <laughs> lifeguard your shift, work. my shift, yeah, life. my lifeguard shift at like 6.30, uh, I would get off of work at six and then I would, and I think on Friday night fellowship for high schoolers started at 6.30 or so. So I went Perfect. over across the street to the church and I just, you know, I, I would show up, I would play sports with them, I would hang out with them. It was that, your family, you know? That was, yeah. I mean, they were, they were, they were different than any people I've met growing up because I didn't grow up around Christians at all. I grew up around uh, poverty. Drug I grew up around yeah. a lot of drug dealers. I grew up in the, in the projects. People don't realize this, but like my, I spent my entire, so when I first, mo- when we, f- you know, my first memory of Boston was living in South Boston. And so we lived in a, in a, in a basically a town home that was a, I think I'm pretty sure it was government subsidized, but then within like three or four years of living there, they put us in the, the projects of Boston. And, and wow. so yeah. I, I spent from like seven years old all the way to 18 or yeah, 18. I lived in projects in Boston, like and the projects that I lived in was like, there were 10 buildings or t- either 10 or 12 buildings. So between 200 to 240 families all earning under like $25,000 a year, 20, $25,000 a year. Sure. And so that was what I grew up around. Like, that's all I knew. I, I had no concept besides movies and what you see on TV. I had no concept of what like wealth was like or what life outside yeah. of what I grew up was like. And so when I went to this church people were like, you know, they were, they were happy. They were optimistic. And some, some of them were arrogant. Some of them were really humble. So yeah, it's just a whole mix of people. Yeah. But I thought, you know, these people are kind of cool. They're different than, <laughs> yeah, they're different than what I'm, what I'm used to. So I, I would show up every Friday night and, uh, that went on for about a year or so. And I just, and one day one of the guys invited me to a, like a Bible study. And so I showed up one day on a Sunday to, to, to a church and then to a Bible study and I enjoyed it. Um, and then that went on for a couple of years, uh, kind of leading into my like junior, senior year of high school. And um, so I still had no idea like like there was a God. Like they, I, I would I would hear these messages when we go to these events, and I still didn't really understand what that actually m- like what that meant. And then, you know, one day I get a phone call from a friend of mine and uh, she said, Hey, you know, uh, her cousin who was actually my, my good friend, she said, she's, Hey, you know, her name is, her name is May. I'm, I'm pretty sure I can talk about her, but her name is May. She was in a, an accident today. She's in the hospital right now and we don't know if she's going to make it. So she told me that, you know, she uh-huh. heard that she fell off her bike and um, she hit the corner of the sidewalk, like on her head, like her head went to the sidewalk. Oh my gosh. And um, so she had brain swelling and, you know, she was not doing very well. So I, you know, when I, f- this is like the first time I'm like, you know, 16 years old at this point, 16, 17. I'm like, okay, I, this is the first time where I've heard of a, of a problem that I can't solve. Like I can't, I can't show up. I can't help in any way. And uh, yeah. so I sent out and, you know, I sent out an email at that time using Juno, you know, Juno was a big thing back then or, oh, a- yeah. or AOL. And so I've sent out a <laughs> message to like uh, everyone I knew and uh, everyone says, Oh, we're going to pray. F- we'll, we'll pray for her. We'll have good thoughts for her. But I remember this one email from this gal. Her name is Elaine. She's a good friend today. And, um, 
She says, you know, I don't know what God's plan is for your friend or for you, but I, I, I would implore you to pray to God to heal her. So that was like the first time someone said to me, pray to God for something. And so I got on my knees, I prayed, and, uh, mm. and nothing really happened. Like I, I didn't feel God. I didn't, f you know, yeah. I didn't, I didn't, it was just I prayed and I said, okay, I, I don't know what to do now. Do I wait? Do I, do I? <laughs> do I call back to the hospital and, and check? You know, what do I do? So a few days go by and I finally get a phone call again from the same friend who told me about the accident. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, she's, she's kind of li like screaming on the phone, kind of ecstatic, like, hey, May's awake, May's awake. I said, what do you mean she's awake? She goes, May's awake. Wow. I said, okay, well, tell me what happened. She's like, well, um, she said that, uh, the doctors decided like a day ago that they needed to operate to remove a part of her brain. Um, if they don't remove a part, that part of the brain, she would die because there was so much swelling in her brain. Um, mm. But if, if they do move forward with the operation, there was a, there was a highly likelihood that she would end up a vegetable. So, so her parents decided that it was, you know, that they would take the chance and, and have the operation and so in the phone call she said you know so she says it's as if may woke up from a dream because she doesn't remember anything you know she she's she's kind of like i mean she's hungry she's she's talking she knows who's there and who's in the room so so for her it was uh, as if she woke up from this dream and then i you know yeah. then i just I started bawling, right? I'm like, oh, shoot. Because it wasn't so much that she woke up that got me emotional or got me believing in God was in my prayer, I said, I want her to wake up as if she woke up from a dream. Like I want, oh my gosh, I yeah. want, I want her to become okay. Like as if she woke up from a dream. Yeah. So that's, so those were the words wow. I heard. So, so I, you know, for me, God spoke to me in a way where it was like, I'm going to give you your exact words that you're looking for. And um, so then at that point, you know, I said, 100%. okay, I, so at that point I said, God, you're real. I'm going to pursue you. I don't know how to pursue you, but I know you're real. So, so you're, 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 we're good. Um, so, <laughs> so I, I didn't become a Christian overnight from that. It was like a, it was years. It was, a, you know, I went through years of like digging and understanding what sure. it meant to become, to be a believer. Uh, and then a year later I moved to LA. So that's kind of like where my, my other life started in LA. But, you know, fast forward 10 years or so, um, yeah, about 10 years later, I actually was able to get a hold of May, who was actually the one who was in the accident. And we, I, I went back to Boston for a visit for, uh, you know, over Christmas, and I, I got to, uh, we went to dinner together, and I asked her, I'm like, do you remember what happened with your accident? And she's like, yeah, you know. And so she kind of gave me a whole different perspective of what actually happened. Um, you know, she actually lost her ability to walk uh, for a while. She had to relearn how to walk. She had to relearn how to eat. She had to learn a lot of things, wow. um, which I didn't hear about because we weren't in contact anymore, and I, I, I had moved away. But, you know, God answered my prayer in a, in a very specific manner that let me know he was there, that he was listening. But then there was this whole other struggle that happened afterwards that I didn't, I didn't know about. Uh, and it, would, it wouldn't have changed my perspective of what happened. Um, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have changed my faith at all it just was a uh, well you know to hear what she said um and you know what she went through after that you know was yeah. 
was amazing for me. Yeah. But um, but yeah, that was my. Did you t- did you share your story with her? I did, and she was like, "Wow, you know," and uh, she was like, "Wow, I I had no idea, you know." It, it was a it was a very intimate moment with her because she was a really she was I mean we're we're still good friends, um, but it was a very special moment that we shared. Like, hey, you know, your it was through your almost your life your life threatening experience kind of saved my life in a uh, quite literally your life saved my life in a sense. You wow, know? and uh, that's yeah. powerful. Yeah crazy man yeah um okay before you actually hang up uh uh-huh. can we do a, a posed thumbnail for the video uh sure what what is the thumbnail <laughs> your face <laughs> what's the thumbnail uh, you need me to pose for well are you still recording on your other camera i'm record yeah i'm recording on my camera do you happen to have a knife on you somewhere? yeah 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 i would love if you just held it you know oh sure if you just held the knife in the frame there you go <laughs> okay so yeah that's good oh that's beautiful yeah perfect there it is that's the one 